0: You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. How we doing, Embassy Church? Good, I got my 7 to 10-year-olds in here, so I got a cheering section, so I need some amens, all right. Um, If you are a guest for the first time, super glad you're here. My name is Chris Cook, I'm the lead pastor here. Um, And yeah, we got a lot to get into. Um, So if you have a Bible, um, I'm going to bring us to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. We're not going to get into it just yet, but you can find your way there. If you're new to the Bible, uh, table of contents... Uh, is a good place to stop for directions, but Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so your Bible's split into two kind of sections, one big, one small, Old Testament, New Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament right before you get to Matthew. Uh, Malachi chapter 3. Um, but before we uh, we jump into our text, um, just by way of setup, I do want to just again acknowledge the moms in the room. Um, man, I, I told Allie... Uh, I tell her this a lot, but I told her this actually this morning. I'm like so jealous of Allie in a lot of ways uh, as a mom. Uh, We have a six-month-old, and when Allie walks in the room, like he literally lights up and just like starts to freak out. And if I'm holding him, like not for long, you know. But she is like (laughs) his sun and moon, you know. Um, And I'm just like, you have such an emotional connection to our kids that I like I just do not, and I wish I did. Um, So I just think, man, being a mom is is an awesome, awesome privilege, and I'm super thankful for for you moms that are here and all that you give, because that is a lot of what you do, uh, give. And I was chatting with my kiddos and they asked why they don't we get a kid's day, right, you ever get this question? And I'm like, you do have a kid's day, it's called today. And it's, it's every day, you know, so we're going to take one day and we're going to write some cards to mom and you're going to like it, you know. Um, but we sat down and we did that yesterday, but just, uh, yeah, moms, you're the real MVP. So... Um, I want to kind of frame up our series, and um, like Maria said, we're, we're going through a topical series as we start the summer. And we've designed this to really help you guys. Uh, as you kind of get into a new rhythm of life, okay? You are close out the spring, you're starting the summer. We actually designed this series to start uh, with the new year, January 1, uh, changed our minds, and we put it here because hopefully you'll have some more margin as the summer rolls around and you can start to really look at the habits in your life, okay? Um, it's been said that we don't rise to the level of our aspirations, but we fall to the level of our habits, okay? Um, these are these commonplace practices that have huge consequences. In the long run like we don't even realize half the habits we have okay like what order you even dry off when you get out of the shower that's a habit um i don't know if you know this or if you have an order i have an order there's an optimal way to dry the body with a towel um and my ocd brain has found it and like i I have a habit of drying the same way um, or even brushing your teeth, you know, whether you do circles or, or up and downs or across, right, you do that the wrong way for 30 years, and you may be gumming it, you know, in your 70s or 80s, that's just you got to think about these things. So um, we all have habits, um, they're little things, they're usually unconscionable, no, that's not the right word, unconscious, whatever, you're not conscious of your habits most of the time, but they have huge consequences, okay, um, and and so um, when you think about um, the person you're becoming, I think it's a really fascinating exercise to kind of go like, "Man, like, who am I going to be in 10, 20, 30 years?" Um, and and a way you can kind of ascertain that is is look at your habits now. What are you doing in the present? Because over time, like that's gonna that's gonna give way, Okay. Um, and as Christians, um, we're exhorted to make every effort to supplement. Our faith with virtue, right? We're, we're exhorted uh, to make every effort to, to develop holy habits, if you will, okay? Um, and Second Peter 5 8 says it this way um, it says so that we'll be useful and fruitful. So we'll be useful and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so my hope for this series is as we go week by week and we look at these habits, um, that, that you apply them to your life. So that you, too, will be useful and fruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, that, that, that the sanctification process is really uh, a, a joint venture with you and the spirit of God. Okay? Um, it's not an earning, right? But there is effort. Um, and you're joining with him so that you can become that perfect person that he wants you and is making you uh, to be. Okay, so um, that's the kind of aim and we are starting looking at collective practices. And most of us don't think of spiritual disciplines, holy habits in a collective sense. Uh, we think of it very individualistically, right. Uh, as we are doing our quiet times and doing little things that, that just we do by our lonesome. Um, but what's true is part of God's sanctification process is using one another. Using the people that are actually sitting to your left and to your right. And so we are looking at these, these collective habits first. Um, And two weeks ago we looked at the holy habit of worship, okay, just gathering here on a Sunday and worshiping the Lord, right, turning your heart's affections to him, singing songs that say what's true about him, sitting under the teaching of the word to renew your mind and and encourage your heart, that is a holy habit that if you commit to it will change you and your family in the long run, okay. So that was two weeks ago, last week uh, Derek did a great job looking at the holy habit of fellowship, of intentionally leaning into community, of practicing the one another's of the New Testament, okay. Um, and then this morning we're going to look at the holy habit of giving. And I, I can't think of actually a better sermon to actually preach on Mother's Day than giving, because like that's all moms do, you just like give and give. Um, and so um, it wasn't planned, but hey, it fits, right. Um, we actually had we had a bunch of moms uh, that at our house yesterday, we did a close out for our city group, did a crawfish boil, I'm from Louisiana. So we flew up 150 pounds of crawfish, uh, mud bugs, crawdads, I don't know what you call them up here, right? Bigger than the ones you catch in the ditch, you know, and tastier. And we had a great time. And, and the thing that star- struck me about the whole time together uh, was actually after the, kind of the party was over, we had a few friends kind of linger late. And uh, they had little kiddos, and their littlest kiddo kind of just found the corner, and you know, like, that's just like something's going down. You know, so why, th- why is that kid staring at the corner? That's a little off. And then just started yakking all over our floor, right? Yeah, that was my reaction. Like, poor baby, you know? And look, we've seen it all, so it just didn't phase us. It's like, we'll get some Lysol wipes. We'll clean that up. That wasn't the thing that was like so, you know, um, striking to me. It was the mom's reaction. Because we know what the mom did, right? The mom walks up while the kid's still throwing up and just holds her. Right, just throw up an all, and you're like, if that's not a mom, right? It's just like, baby, you know, and just does not care at all, you know. And you're just like, man, moms, you know, they're great, they just give, give, give. And so, um, yeah, we're gonna look at, at the holy habit uh, of giving. And again, if you have your Bible, we'll be in Malachi chapter 3. Now, um, I want to give a disclaimer to this passage. Okay, because it's a very obscure passage. Uh, Allison calls me a glutton for punishment. Uh, I, we talk a lot about giving here at Embassy, and I'm always trying to give you guys something fresh and something new. And so this is a passage I've never taught on, uh, actually, a- as a pastor, let alone here at Embassy. Um, so I wanted to kind of go at a different, different passage, different angle. Um, so it's kind of obscure. I don't know the last time you memorized some verses from Malachi. Anybody? You got some Awana's verses for Malachi? No? Okay. No jewels. Um, so oh, like two people laughed that were in Awanas, anyway, it would be funny if you were in Awanas. Um, it's kind of a score but it's kind of famous, right, because if you've ever flipped through the television, you know, uh, and who does that now, um, but if you flip through the TV late at night and, um, and maybe kind of stumbled upon a televangelist, this is a common passage used in our culture to just kind of like implore giving. Okay, uh, and it kind of it kind of goes on this sowing reaping principle. It's like, man, the reason you're not living a blessed life is because you're not giving God enough. And if you just give God some more, He'd give you even more than that. Okay, which is a gross misunderstanding of the text, um, and really more than that, a, a, a misapplication of it to here and now. Okay, so we're gonna have to do a little kind of. Um, Decoding of the context and what's going on to really understand Malachi in its context, but I think there's some really great application. But I'll read it; you'll understand what I'm talking about because it is really a scathing rebuke, uh, like most of the prophetic books. Um, you read them and you're just like, "Whoa!" Right? That's real. Okay, so it's about to get real. I'm gonna read Malachi three, verses seven through twelve. Okay, three verses seven through twelve. It says this says, since the days of your ancestors, this is God speaking to his people, the nation of Israel. He says, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making payments of the tenth in the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land, and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Now, like I said, um, scathing rebuke, okay, this whole book, this whole section of scripture, um, for the most part is, um, is prophets trying to call God's people back to faithfulness, all right, as God's people have rebelled. And I want to give us um, a little context because just saying I'm going to talk about giving makes the room kind of feel slightly uncomfortable, right, you're just kind of like, eh, we don't talk about giving, we don't talk about money. It's just inappropriate. Well, why? It just is. Um, okay, so we're already a little on the edge of our seats talking about giving. Um, and then Critter tried to pull out um, Malachi 3. Wow, this is going to be a great Mother's Day. I just want to kind of get through this and get to pictures. Um, I, I really do think it will be. And I think it's really important for us to understand, again, just the the context of what's going on here so that we rightly pull out uh, some of the principles, okay. Okay. Um, I'll just start with this. Your giving says a lot. Okay? Your generosity, your giving says a lot. This is why Jesus spoke about money more than heaven or hell. All right? Jesus spoke about money more than heaven or hell because the way that we give, what we do with our money on the outside, says a lot about our heart's posture on the inside. It says a lot about our security. Our comfort, our confidence, our hope—all those kind of things. So, if anything, I want this, this text, and what we're going to look at this morning to kind of be self-revealing, okay, for you, um, man, like it, it gives you a picture to your heart, okay, um, and so, um, if we can have enough security, enough trust in one another, man, we're going to kind of just pull back the layers a little bit and um, and see what it says about us, um, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, if you're a note taker, this is where I'm going: Malachi three, um. A few things about our giving. Our giving is going to show us something about our own faithfulness, okay. Because beneath our giving is something about faithfulness to the Lord, okay. Our giving is going to show us something about others flourishing and lastly something about God's fame. okay? Our own faithfulness, others flourishing and God's fame. All right. So look at verse 7 again. And I want to kind of... um, Transliterate a little bit. This is the critter version. Um, Look at verse 7. It says, Since the days of your ancestors, okay? So, really clearly, what we see in verse 7 is a rebuke from the Lord, okay? Because his people have rebelled just as their forefathers, and God is calling them to repentance, okay? So, it's really important that you understand this passage. Above all, it's not a passage about tithing, it's not a passage about money, it's a passage about repentance okay, there's this one little excerpt where he's giving them an example, okay, of man, how have we rebelled, right, there's almost like some cynicism there, it's like, God, what do you mean we've rebelled, give us an example, show me one one way, how and why, and God just kind of slams the tithe on them, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, you might be right, okay, but but at its core, this is a a passage about repentance, okay, and this is the cycle you see all throughout the Old Testament, okay, so here's the cycle, God chooses a people, right, out of slaves in Egypt. Well, chooses them before that, but they're in slavery in Egypt and and God in a powerful, miraculous way, right, takes the nation of Israel out from under the thumb of slavery of the most evil and powerful empire of, it, empire of its day, Egypt, okay. Right, he, he redeems them, he saves them, and he brings them to the promised land, a land that, man, th- th- that wasn't theirs, okay, um, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, right, we, we know the kind of... Bible school illustrations there, a land with vineyards they didn't plant, houses they didn't build, and he says, I'm going to kick these people out and I'm going to put you in, but you need to know that this land is my land. It's not your land. That's like a weird America song, but like that's, that's what he says, okay. Um, wow, well, I'm way off. I'm thinking about Redwoods, okay. Um, songs. <laughs> I haven't heard that song in years. So this land's my land. It's not your land, okay. And you're just aliens in it. Right, you're just stewards of it, okay, and and one of the things God set up when he did that was the tithe, okay, and the tithe was a reminder to the people of Israel that all that they had came from God's goodness, okay, that all that they had came from the hand of the Lord, right, not only did he take them and their forefathers out of slavery, but, but man, Year after year, the, the the produce of their land, everything that they're blessed with, was coming from His hand, not just their hard work. Okay, and so God sets up this whole um, this whole system uh, with the tithe. All right, so we need to understand the context there. Um, the cycle you see in the Old Testament is as God's people prosper, they start to think that their prosperity came from their effort, so they start to walk away from the Lord. They start to rebel. Okay and God sends prophets to warn them hey turn back to me turn back to me you're you're breaking the covenant you're breaking the commitment the relational commitment that we have between one another and there's some curses on the back end right if there's no blessing and I'm going to break in, into that in a second okay but that's the cycle right it's just prosperity rebellion judgment repentance return and you just see this over and over and over again with God's people the context we get in Malachi is this, okay. This is the generation that has returned from exile, right, as God has used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge his people because they become so rebellious. They are carted off to modern day Iraq, okay, um, northern and southern. And with Nehemiah and Ezra, they come back, the faithful remnant comes back. And God establishes them again and they start to flourish and prosper and now the cycle's starting over. And so God's sending Malachi to go, You're doing what your forefathers did, and you're rebelling for me, and you need to return. All right, we get the context. So look at verse 8. Again, the people scoff at the idea that they've, they've rebelled. So the Lord gives them one example You're taking what's mine. These are earmarked dollars, okay, for kingdom purposes, if you will, and you're taking what's mine. Not to, not to mention all of its gods, but definitely that tenth, the first and the best, the first fruits. That are supposed to go towards God and his purposes, okay. And then verse 9, the Lord connects their corporate suffering as a nation, right, their difficulty with their individual sin. And he says stop skimping on the covenant, okay. Stop skimping on the covenant. And this is where we need to understand the Mosaic covenant, okay. In your Bible, like I said, I have us looking at Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament, You know what another word for testament is? Another translation? Covenant. Okay, so you need to understand the difference between reading the Old Testament under the old covenant, the old way of relating to God and the New Testament or the new covenant. Under the old covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant, it's really this. You ready? It's tit for tat. Okay. God says, look, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to bless you in return you bless me. If you curse me, I'm going to curse you. But it's an it's a eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tit for tat kind of thing. Okay. So I want you to keep your finger in Malachi 3 and I want you to flip all the way over to um, Deuteronomy 28. Okay. So if you have a Bible, flip to Deuteronomy 28. And there's a parallel passage in Leviticus 26. So if you're a note taker, you can go read this stuff um, on your own. We don't have time to get super deep into it. Okay. But this is the law. Okay. So the prophet Malachi is reminding the people of Israel, remember what Deuteronomy 28 says. Remember what Leviticus 26 says. And he's calling the nation of Israel to repent and to return. And what you see in those chapters is simply what I just said. This tit for tat agreement. Blessing for blessing, cursing for cursing. Okay. Blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. You maybe have bold in your Bible. I don't know, but you can kind of see the the. The subheaders, if you will, of your chapter. Mine says blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience in chapter 28. If you want a little context, go to chapter 27 and you'll see what is a summary of the covenant in verses 16 through 19, okay? And what God's purpose is, which is man, I'm gonna redeem you out of slavery, I'm gonna bless you, and I'm gonna be your God, and you're gonna be my people, and you're just gonna prosper, all right? If you just obey me, right, I'm gonna bless you, okay? And the whole world is going to see there's something strange about you, and it's going to point to the fact that I'm the one true God. Okay, this is the covenant relationship between God and the nation of Israel. All right, and you get that summary in 27. And if you go all the way back in 26, you see this whole explanation of the tithe. If you want to dig into it, right? All right. So again, critter, you're going through this deep stuff history lesson. I don't need all this. We do because we need to understand it. So are we tracking with me? Can I get a head Yes, okay, all right, we'll get to roses and carnations and stuff later. This is really important, okay. I want you to understand the tithe as this, as a tribute, okay. Not like, you know, mocking Jay kind of Hunger Games stuff, right. But a tribute, okay, uh, that someone would give a king as an acknowledgement of their authority in one's life, okay. That the peace and prosperity that I have is because of your good rulership. And leadership over my life. That's what a tithe is, okay, for the nation of Israel. It's an acknowledgement to God that all that I have is from you, and so I'm gonna give my first and my best back to you, okay? Again, stick with me, all right? It's not just a tribute for God, it's a reminder for His people. Because every time you write that proverbial check, right, you're reminded man, do I really believe that everything that I have comes from God's good hand or my hard work? Right, that's ultimately the question under, under every time we give, isn't it? That my prosperity is because God's favor on me or because I'm just a little bit smarter, better, born to a better family than the person to the left and right, right of me. But that's, what, that's the heart level stuff that you're weighing there, okay. And God gives his people the tithe to help them not do what is such a common thing for us as people, which is to disconnect the gift from the giver. In America, the most prosperous nation the face of the earth, ever. Man, can we do that, right? The American dream is us just, just working hard, right? And we got where we are because we manifested. And we just thought differently than everybody else. Those poor fools, they just couldn't think positively. You know, we don't have, a, I can do a whole detour on that kind of stuff. But America is so prosperous, is it just because we, we're just a special group of people that just works harder than everybody else? And I've traveled. We don't work harder than everybody else. I promise you that. Or is it because God's favors on us? Okay. And so God's tithe for His people back then was to was to tie the gift and the giver together. Okay, but it's not only that. And this is really important. It's also a way for God to provide for the Israelite spiritual maturation and for that society socially marginalized. The tithe every year was brought to Jerusalem, okay. And it was given to the Levites and the priests as provision for them. I want you to think about promised land, how many tribes do we have, anybody, Iwanis, 12, okay. 11 of them are allotted land, one of them isn't. The tribe of Levi, because these were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, all right. The sons of Aaron, Levi. And the tithe of the 11 was to be the inheritance for the tribe of Levi, okay. And so with the nation of Israel skimping on their tithe, what they're not doing is providing for their spiritual leadership. And so religious practices start to falter. God's not given the glory to his name, right. It's all tied together. And not only that. Once every three years, the tithe actually wasn't brought to Jerusalem. It was kept in people's hometowns and it was used to provide for the widow, the orphan, and the migrant. You see God's social justice? You see his provision for the marginalized of his society, the people that can't provide for themselves? Do you see how the nation of Israel, by not giving back to God what he is due, actually says something quite larger than a percentage here or there? the whole social fabric of Israel starts to break down. Which is why these prophets like Malachi are calling them to repentance. Right, because they are not worshiping the Lord like they should. They are not doing justice and showing mercy like they should. And the tithe is just a picture of that. It's an external picture of a deeper heart posture for the nation of Israel. Are you tracking with me? Amen, yes, sort of, yeah, great. All right, I know know I'm going super deep on here, okay. But that's really important to understand the context, all right. So now look at verse 10 through 12. I want to kind of wrap up this section of Malachi. So the Lord's response is this. You ready? Hey, you're wandering from me. Maybe that's not sharp enough. You're rebelling from me. Return to me. Repent and return. Okay. Okay. We're not doing anything. We're good. I don't know what you're talking about, God. Right? That's kind of how the passage reads. And he's going, No, let's just look at one thing. All right? And Malachi's full of a lot more than, than that. And then he gives this kind of almost promise. He says, Put my promise to the test. I promise to provide for you. Put it to the test. And then God says that he will bless them if they will obey him. Right? He's calling them back into covenant relationship. And that if they repent, that he'll pour out immeasurable blessings. Look at verse eleven, and then protect them. All right, he's not just going to protect—I mean, pour out blessings, but he's going to protect them from anything that would go wrong. And then look at verse twelve. This is really important: that they would, that the world would notice that they're favored, and the world would want to actually find out the God that they follow. Ultimately, what God's saying is, "Hey, not only are you not giving me my tithe, okay, which is mine." Okay. I own it. It's mine. It's earmarked. God, okay? So not only are you, are you um are you stealing from me, but you're not worshiping me rightly because the whole system I've set up, you're not providing for. You're not caring for the marginalized. You're not exercising social justice, okay? The widow, the orphan, the poor, the migrant. But then nations around They're not looking at you, seeing your blessing and going, man, that's the one true God. And so you're stealing my glory. Right? You see the weight of this passage? Like it's really heavy. Okay? Um, The NIV translation of verse 10 is really great. It's test me in this. And I think it's great because it's a challenge to put God to the test. And so I'm going to apply this real quickly. um, But I, I just want us to see this. That God promises... To take care of his people. And he wants his people, he wants you and me today, to put him to the test in that. Not in a questioning sense, but in an obedient sense. What would happen if you actually believed that God would provide for you, even if you gave 10% off the top of your gross first and best to God, right? Which is a terrifying thought for most of us in this room. Because if we're anything like our common culture, we live far beyond our means. And so to do that, it's actually gonna take some work, right? It's gonna have to be a holy habit that takes years because we're gonna have to start looking at our standard of living and adjusting it, right? And this is where the nation of Israel was then. Do we trust God and are we willing to put his promises to the test, okay? Do you see how in all of Malachi 3, that beneath our giving, it actually says something about our faithfulness to God? That the way you give says something, the question is, what does it say? What does it say about where your heart's posture is? Do you really trust, or one, do you really believe that, that all that you have is by God's good hand, but, but two, do you believe that God's going to provide for you if you actually would take a step and obey and try and move more towards being more generous? All right, do you see that, that others flourishing is because of your giving? Like, man, if we became a more generous people, okay, and we stop spending more on us and we look to be more generous to the world around us, how that would benefit this city? How that would benefit the world around us? And the, just the multiplication effect of that, right? Do you see how God's fame is actually brought about by your giving? Right, I don't know if you've ever been gobsmacked by, by just hearing, and usually people, you know, Christians are, are, are great about this. Where, where they're, they're not given for the glory of it, right? They're given to, for the glory of God, right? But you can hear stories here and there where you're just going like, they gave What? Who does that? Who gives away that number to that cause or that initiative and they don't get their name on the building? Somebody that actually believes they are doing it for the glory of God. Right, there's a belief beneath the action. Okay. So here's a few principles and I will close this out uh, in this way. A few principles we can pull from God's rebuke. I'm going to talk about um, refusal and then repentance. Refusal to give back to God comes from failing to recognize that it all comes from Him in the first place. Refusal to give back to God comes from failing to recognize that it all comes from Him in the first place. I'm sure you work hard. I really am. I'm sure you put the time in. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm sure of all those things. But ultimately... Your inability or struggle to give back says something about how confident you are that that your prosperity is, is ultimately a blessing. Okay. Number two, refusal to give back to God usually comes from growing in prosperity more than struggling in poverty. If you look at the cycle of Israel, it's when they prosper that they stop being more generous. This plays itself out in the church, right. The more prosperous in the church... The harder it is to give those dollars away. If you can't give a dime off a dollar, it's really hard to give ten thousand off hundred. And I'm just I'm I'm gonna come back to the tie thing, but I'm just using a base level 10%. It's even hard to give hundred thousand off a million. And you can use all the justifications. It's like, man, he's just a pastor. He can't manage that. I'm gonna have to manage that. You know, I'm the businessman. Right? The, the, it's the same justifications, okay? Usually Refuse to give back to God comes from growing in prosperity, right? Because our hearts are tempted to put confidence in our money to transfer our trust and security and comfort into material things, not the God that provided it, all right? And then lastly, refuse to give back to God comes ultimately from from struggling to trust that he can provide for us like he promises to. At the core of it, when i struggle to be generous it's because i struggle to believe that god's going to continue to provide for me and my family right just <laughs> confessions of a pastor like it is it is a it is a hard habit to keep up to try and be more and more generous and stretch that muscle if you will work out that generosity muscle but if i get beneath it it's because man i'm really struggling that god's actually going to come good on his promises but he's never not Right? So it's a faith battle more than it's a finance thing. All right? Repentance, on the other hand, and delightful obedience leads to a couple things. And I want you to see the promises in here, okay? It leads to us being provided for and protected. Right? God's going, put me to the test, Israel. I'm going to provide for you. I want to provide for you. I promise to. Just trust me. And not only am I going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you. And so are we trusting God for that, or do we really feel like we have to do it ourselves, which is exhausting. Repentance and delightful obedience leads to not only our own selves flourishing, but the flourishing of those around us, right? Spiritual leadership and society's margins, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the migrant. And then lastly, repentance and delightful obedience leads to God's fame growing Because the world sees how those who follow him actually flourish. It doesn't make sense that the people that give away the best and the first of their wealth back to God, his mission, and his ministry are the most prosperous people. Like it doesn't make sense that Chick-fil-A kicks butt six days a week, not seven. Right? It's like, dude, if they would just open up on Sunday, they would just kill it. No. True it, Kathy a convictional like convictionally driven Christian is trying to honor the Lord with his his business model. And it was just one way to say like, man, all right. God, this is yours and any prosperity that we have is because of your hand. And so they have stuck to it. All right? I love Chick-fil-A. And every Sunday I want Chick-fil-A. Somehow I only want Chick-fil-A on Sundays when I'm on a road trip. And it's never open. And I'm just like, I wish True Kathy was not a Christian. No, that's not true. But like, it just again, reason it out, just, just rationally. Six days a week they're making this. If we add a seventh, they're going to make this. And so beneath it is just this, this kind of faith battle, right? Which is like, man, where is prosperity coming from? It's just putting in more hours and more work and more effort and better strategies Or is there something else going on there? And if you believe in God and his existence, you have to kind of give him part of the equation, right? But that's beneath all these kind of giving questions for all of us, okay. Giving your first and best back to God is more for you and more for others than it is for him. God doesn't need your money. He owns it all anyway. He's not asking you to give back to him because he's broke. You need to give more than he needs you to give. Because your heart and mine is bent inwards towards control and security and comfort. And giving is a habit we can develop to bend our heart outwards and go, God, we trust you. God, we trust you. Now obviously, like, I can put my cards on the table. I'm the pastor talking about giving. Your giving pays my salary. That's not why I'm talking about giving though. I don't want things from you, I want things for you, okay. Embassy's got plenty of money. We're not having this conversation because the embassy needs money. We're having this conversation because of the habits. This is probably the hardest one. It's way easier if you get up, make a latte and, and, and read Jesus Calling, okay. Hopefully you're reading the Bible, but re- you, get, you get my point. It's a lot harder for you to sit down and go, man, let me look at my budget. Wait, I don't even have a budget. Okay, I'm just like, I have this really unhealthy relationship with money, but I'm just kind of like, I'm living and, you know, I just kind of plug my ears when, you know, giving conversations come up at church. But, you know, I'm just kind of going for it. This is a hard habit to work on. But wouldn't you want to be the kind of person that becomes more and more and more generous? Right as, as the Lord blesses you and you build wealth and you get, God willing, in your 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and you see these people just being radically generous. Because their level of income raises, they don't raise the level of their standard of living, but they raise the level of their standard of giving. And there's just deep security that God's going to provide for them and deep comfort for the things he already has given them. Okay. This is God's economy of flourishing. And it takes work. I got my kiddos sitting up here in the front row we have mason jars. I just got this from one of my kids. Rock out. Um, it's, I love you, I guess. Put the thumb out. Um, so we have mason jars. And this is, this is my attempt as a dad to, to, to start this holy habit. Three mason jars, right? When we know it from ki- being kids, but somehow we forget it when we get older. We give first. We save second. We spend third. All right? And I'm trying to help my kids develop I heart coordination, right? I put them in soccer and in in softball and in basketball to develop different motor skills. This is like a heart thing. I want my kids to understand we give first. And for my girls, they'll ask me this question why can't we give more? You know? It's like because we we put the, you know, if we get a $20 bill, I'll have to break the 20 and it gets a little complicated, right? But we'll put 10% in the the first jar and then, you know, a rough 20, 30% in the second jar and more in the, the, the spend, and they're like, why, why can't we put more in the, in the give jar? We love to give. What a question of a child. Am I right? That, why can they say that? Because they have such security that they're going to be provided for, that I'm going to take care of them, that I'm going to meet every need, that they can be radically generous. And so it should be with our Heavenly Father. I want you to think about the gospel. And this is how I'm going to close out. I know I've said that twice. Critter's still going. He's got so many notes. For God so loved the world, he gave. And he didn't give 10%. He gave 100% of his greatest treasure, his one and only son. This is what I mean about not understanding or misunderstanding Malachi 3... Um, out of context, is we have the New Testament. We have the new covenant. We have seen the cross, right. When our hearts, doubts arise that God is going to take care of us, that he's going to provide for us, that he's going to meet every need, we need to meet it with the gospel. Right, if he would not withhold his one and only son for us, is he not going to meet our everyday needs. This is why we can be encouraged to be anxious for nothing. God's going to provide. Because with our deepest, greatest, just most existential need, He gave us His greatest treasure. And the deeper and deeper that seeps into your heart, the more generous of a person you're going to be able to become. Because you're going to find your security and your comfort ultimately in the Lord that provides. So, last little practicals, and then we're out. Some of you need to just start by building a budget. You don't have a healthy relationship with money. The conversation isn't about giving. It's about just like living within your means. Build a budget and live on it. See what comes in. See what goes out. Start to track it. Some of you need to make a commitment to give right, not left. Give right away, not what's left over. All right, give right, not left. Start developing a habit. Start with 1% and try and move it up. Some of you need to direct those dollars differently, but you need to see that it starts with giving back to God. All right, the ask is from the Lord for you to give back to Him. That's question one. Question two is then how do I direct those dollars? Right? We don't have a temple anymore. We're not the Old Testament people of Israel. Okay. Between the local church and the temple was the synagogues, but you see how kind of if you study the, the story. Those dollars, given back to God went to his purposes, his missions, okay? We, me and Allison, give the most of that first and best to the local church, but not just there. We give it other places. I'll say it this way, maybe reversely. If you're at a local church and you don't feel confident and delighted to give your money to it, leave the church. Why would you sit under the teaching of And tie yourself to a mission that you won't even give your dollars to. If like embassy doesn't get you super excited about what we're doing that you go like, man, I'd be a phenomenal steward to give God's dollars to that mission and that ministry. Please leave. Please find a church that you believe in. A mission that you're passionate about. People that you want to do it with. Because money's over here. Like, don't waste your time. And then, lastly, take your relationship with money out in public. Date it in public, right? Tell your friends about it. If you'd be so courageous, talk to somebody. Don't let it be a no go zone in your conversations. The truth of the matter is if anybody is going to wreck your life, it's not somebody else, it's the person staring you in the mirror. Christians of all people know we have blind spots. And we need one another to point them out. Especially when it comes to our relationship with money. Because money is so enticing for us to transfer our trust, our hope, our security. So I really do hope that if you don't have those kind of people in your life, you develop friends that love you enough to challenge some of your priorities. Okay. So I said I was going to end three times. Now I will. Let me pray for us. and yeah. My hope is we be a church that starts to develop some holy habits and little by little, uh, they change us in the long term. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it brings us as we sit under it. Um, We thank you that it makes us uncomfortable. We thank you that, um, yeah, we can have such security because your gospel is just to hear the hard things and just respond. We want to honor you with our lives, let alone our wealth our material things. So would you help us do that? I pray for each and every person in here that what they heard is is not do more because you've already done enough. Um, But we just thank you that now we don't just give back to you to get anything. We've been given everything so we can gladly give what we can to you. And so would you help us just keep the gospel in view as we're generous and would you make us more and more so? And we just have delight in it. Would it be an overflow of thankfulness? We love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.